In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Today, we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is God's day. It is his celebration, his fulfillment of a promise he made long foretold through the prophet Joel over 2,800 years ago, around 800 BC, that one day, on a day of his choosing, in the last days, his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, would be poured out upon all flesh. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. You have your days, baby shower day, delivery day, graduation day, first day of work, wedding day, 40th birthday day, retirement day. I don't know what comes after that. Brand new dentures day, maybe? I don't know. But Pentecost? That's God's day. Planned before the foundation of the world, on the 50th day after his son would be crucified for the sins of the whole world, God would send his spirit to fill his people on his great and magnificent day. The Lord's day is Pentecost. And so the church, created on the day of Pentecost by God, celebrates and gives thanks to God for what he worked for us on that day. The mighty works that God did for you for all flesh, all by his grace, all according to his definite plan. And wow, what a plan it was. First, the Lord fills the house where those 12 apostles were gathered after the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Ten days after that, there's this mighty rushing wind. The wind fills the home and it howls and it swirls. The Lord leaves nothing left untouched. Everything begins moving, and he spices up the decor of his party with some flames that look like divided tongues of fire. He gathers a crowd from a crowd from all over the region to witness these things, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, not by man's doing or by man's efforts, but solely by the Lord as promised by God and so fulfilled by God. Without human effort or intervention, the Holy Spirit comes by grace alone. And those 12 apostles, well, they begin speaking. It's the first thing that they do by the Spirit. They speak. Carried by the Spirit, they begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit gives them utterance. And everyone whom the Lord had gathered in that place from all over the world heard these 12 men speaking in their own native language. God leaves everyone attending this party bewildered, astonished. Maybe it was the sound of the wind or the dancing tongues of fire still flipping around even in the midst of such strong winds. Maybe it was the miraculous preaching in the foreign languages, or maybe it was just that when God does what God does, humans are left utterly dumbfounded. Like, 
Who creates things by simply speaking them into existence? God does. He says, let there be light, and there is light. Who can separate waters with a wind? God can, right down the middle. He pulls them back like a child separating some Legos. Who can rain down this heavenly bread for 40 years in a dry desert so that his people don't starve? God can. Who can create life in the womb of a 90-year-old woman? God. And a young virgin? God. Who brings the dead back to life? in motion to scattered, dusty, dry bones, and lays sinews and flesh and muscle on them all by a mere voice and breathes into them life with only a still, small whisper. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of heaven and earth, God. And these are only just a few, a drop in the bucket of the things, of the mighty things that our Lord has done. He has done so much more mighty works than these. But on Pentecost, he's doing something new. It is his day, after all. And you know God by many names. God, Lord, Yahweh, I am. But he has a new name. His name is Jesus. He declares it so himself. And God himself and Jesus has taken on our human flesh, born of a virgin woman by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he walked among us. He experienced your very weaknesses. He carried your sorrows. He knows your grief and your pain. Fully God, yet fully human. He walks on top of the water, and he also cries and he weeps, well acquainted with grief. God came to us, and he healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the hungry, miraculously clothed the naked, and with only his word, he calmed a deadly storm. He healed a woman who had been sick for 12 years, who only had to touch a thread from his clothes. He raised dead girls back to life by simply speaking a word, even if it was from miles away, and he breathed life into those who were gathered around him. And so, we killed him. We slaughtered him in broad daylight. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. We murdered God on a cross. We killed Jesus. He died because of our sins. Psalm 22 verse 7 says, All who see me mock me, and they hurl insults at me, and they shake their heads at me. Not only did our sins hang Jesus on that cross, but we also mocked the Lord 
while he suffers and dies for us on Good Friday, the Lord's Day. And so it's no surprise that here on Pentecost, God's special day, people are found to be mocking him yet again. We're told, but others mocking said, These twelve apostles, they're just filled with new wine. These babbling fools are just drunk. They mock the Lord and his word going forth in power on his great day. And so do you. Now, maybe you're not as bold as they are in their mockery. Doubtful anyone here would dare wag their fingers at their dying Lord on the cross. Not brave enough to stand up and shout, We think you're drunk for saying these things, Pastor. Well, such mockery is below you. No one would dare do that. Yet, when you fail to hold the things of God perfectly, you are nevertheless mocking him. On the day of Pentecost, there, there are people who are amazed and astonished when they heard the word. But others, they weren't so impressed. For them, it meant very little. They found it easy to ignore, to mock. Very words of God, just as you do when you relish an unholy living without much regret, or you know what God desires, yet you continue to carry on in your sin regardless. C.S. Lewis writes this about mockery. Flippancy, if prolonged, builds up armor around a man, the finest armor against God that I know. Mockery is a thousand miles away from joy. It deadens you instead of sharpens you. And it creates no affection in those who practice it. No joy. When you do not love God or hold on to him perfectly or love what he has created perfectly, you mock him. Proverbs 17.5 puts it this way, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Proverbs 30.17, the eye that mocks their father and scorns to obey their mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. If we mock the Lord even in his own death while he's dying for us, then we certainly will find little trouble in mocking other people. Anything created by God is fair game for you to mock, even mocking them as they die failing to uphold them in the highest way in love. We laugh as people starve on our streets, as people are murdered in broad daylight. We do not care. We're drunk with mockery. We're deadened and dull and lifeless. When you mock the poor, you are mocking the Lord. When you fail to live up to every commandment of that Bible that collects dust on your shelf, you are mocking the Lord. And no, you may not be as bold in public with your mockery, but the secret places of your heart tell a different story. And when no one is looking, you surely find ample courage to participate in all kinds of mockery of God and of others. Pentecost is a strange day, God's day, 
but Pentecost, it sure has a way of leaving you bewildered. But maybe it's not so much the divided tongues of fire dancing in the wind or that mighty rushing, howling wind. And I don't think it's even the different languages which the twelve apostles are preaching miraculously. Maybe. Yes, I believe it to be true. The most surprising piece of this entire day are the people at this party. They're gathered by God himself on God's big day. All of them are nothing but poor, wicked, miserable sinners who fail to uphold him in the highest way, who fail to love his commands, his word, or his people. Sinners who run from him. Yet on God's day, here God is coming all the way down to them to give them something new, his spirit into their lives. Surely this is the strangest sight of all, not the wind or the vapor or the fire or the smoke. Not even that compares to the absurdity of God's honored guests, poor, miserable sinners who lived as though he meant little. Did here God comes all the way down to them on God's special day, rushing down in the mighty, swirling, gushing wind of his spirit to fill their hearts with his grace because his love isn't based upon them, not holding him highly, but his love is based on him holding them highly. And so he comes all the way down to sinners. What a sight to behold. It leaves you bewildered and astonished, all of these sinners from all walks of life, men and women, young and old, Jews and proselytes, adulterers and warriors, and anger-filled parents and their rebellious children and murderers and idolaters. God comes to them all. God sends his Spirit on all flesh because it's his day. And on God's day, he desires to surround himself with sinners. Sick, addicted, helpless sinners. He ate with them. He died for them. He died for you. And he lives for you. And so he has sent his spirit into your heart by the power of his word, so that you would be made into something new by his grace, by his doing, by his love and his mercy. Why? Well, because it's God's day, not yours. And so God shocks us all and he does things that we would never see coming. He saves poor, wretched sinners. For he promised long, long ago through the prophet Joel to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your flesh and mine in the last days. You're living in them now. For those signs and wonders in the heaven above and the earth below, the blood, the fire, the vapor of smoke, the darkness of the sun, they were fulfilled in Jesus. His blood shed for you. The sun darkened on the day of his death. The fire outpoured of the Spirit into your hearts through the waters of your baptism. For it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and you know his name. 
it was given to you in your baptism. The Holy Spirit came rushing into your life in a mighty, swirling, heavenly flood, a lavish washing in the Lord Jesus. For the apostles, they will finish this first sermon of the church, the sermon on Pentecost where they continue to proclaim the mighty works of God and Jesus' death and resurrection for all people. And when they're finished, that crowd of poor, rotten sinners will respond, what do we do now? What must we do to be saved? And the apostles point them to baptism. They preach by the Spirit in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone, all who the Lord has called to himself. The Spirit of God is for all. Young men, young women, sons and daughters, male and female, babies and the elderly, and everyone in between. For in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And in your baptism, the Lord Jesus worked precisely what he promised, the forgiveness of your sins and gave to you the Holy Spirit, and made you new. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.